1: Hi, it's Jeanette here. If you're enjoying Brave Bold Brilliant, I'd love it if you'd subscribe, share with your friends, and leave a five star review. Let's do it. Here's the show. Welcome to the Brave Bold Brilliant podcast. I'm your host, Jeanette Linford, and I am here today with a very inspiring lady. She is the top DJ music producer, motorsports entrepreneur, and it is the one and only Farah Nanji, otherwise known as Ninja.
0: Welcome, <laughs> Farah. Thank you so much for having me today, Jeanette.
1: <laughs> it's great to see you. And we've actually done a very nice reciprocal um, podcast interview. So I was privileged also to be in- interviewed for your podcast. So this is a great way
0: to collaborate. 100%. Yeah, we. I love it.
1: <laughs> Excellent. Well, Farah, it's brilliant to have you here. I'm so grateful that you've taken the time because I know you're a very busy lady. You've got a lot going on in your world. Um, but you know where I would love to start? Because a lot of people will know you from the world of music. Some people will know you from the world of uh, racing and motorsports. But there'll be some people that maybe don't know you so well. So could we start with a little bit of an intro from you in terms of, kind of your background, where life started for you and, and where you are today? Today and then we are gonna go from
0: there. Yeah, no, for sure. I, I do love being an underground ninja always. So, uh, <laughs> and meeting interesting <laughs> people along the way, but definitely so, you know, of course, a lot of people sort of wonder, how do you get into both and, you know, which came first and all of that stuff. And um, and can you do both, you know, even as well is, is sometimes a question I get asked sometimes as well. And I think for me really, it, you know, it all stemmed from childhood. Um, and actually it was more of a traumatic childhood that I had, I had a very loving, you know, sort of immediate family and and, and very grateful for their nurturing and, and love and support that they gave me. Um, but however, like my sort of schooling environment was quite, um, was quite harsh. Um, I was actually in one of the best schools um, academically in the country. and. I guess it just wasn't really the environment for me Um, because obviously now I'm extremely, you know, into the creative worlds and and that sort of academic incubator for me. It it didn't quite stimulate or allow me to uncover, you know, or encourage what my passions were in life. And um, I was definitely a tomboy and I was very much into uh, football and cricket and, you know, um, all of these sort of things. And um, and so I, I kind of got bullied quite a lot. And uh, and perhaps, you know, what I I, mean, I didn't know at the time, but I had this learning difficulty and that also played like a, a bit of a role within the classroom and my sort of social environment and stuff like that. Um, and so sort of aged around 12, um, I got into a go-kart at a friend's birthday party. And I don't know if, if you or, or anyone listening has, has ever been in a go-kart. But, you know, um, if you have, when, when you get into it, you know, it, it feels, it is like an out of mind body experience. Um, and, you know, you put this helmet on, nobody knows who you are. It's, it doesn't matter about your gender or, you know, you know, anything. It's just, it's really about performance. Um, and it's about sort of developing this kind of rhythm with the track, um, you know, and, and constantly improving that, but also uh, sort of you know, just kind of doing it in, uh, in synchronicity and stuff. And, and yeah, I feel for me, you know, it was, it was an instant adrenaline hook, I'm you know, massive adrenaline junkie. Um, and at the same time, actually just a few years prior to that, um, you know, I started learning the Spanish guitar. Um, and for me, that was a way to escape the classroom environment. Um, and you know, just loved going up to this attic room where, you know, I'd play this, um, learn the guitar with this amazing teacher. Um, And now if, if, you know, with my sets, it's extremely inspired by the Spanish gypsy scales. Um, You know, it's very Balearic, you know, it's definitely played that, you know, early sort of influence, um, you know, that exposure and that, that learning. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's it's been an interesting journey, and I, I certainly didn't know. I mean, back then, you know, being a DJ was like, well, you, you, you know, it's it's not something you can Google. It's not something at that time that you could go to school for. You know, it's not a traditional career path. Um, you know, and so it didn't really. Th- I wasn't that wasn't first what I was thinking I would become or anything. It was just more as a result of exposure to that environment and having then friends who, who were that, and then one day saying to myself, well, it's not enough to just be sharing this music with my friends. Like I, I want to you know, do this to a bigger audience because, because I knew ultimately like the music that I select and curate, it it meant something to people and it took them to a different place. And it, it ultimately had like a healing sort of, um, mechanism, you know, um, and for me, it's, you know, perhaps from being bullied and stuff like that's what music gave me. Um, and that's what I like to give back to people, um, as well. And then motorsports, you know, it's a, it's extremely, um, extremely tough, a sport to, to be in as a professional athlete um, as, as any, you know, becoming a professional athlete in any sport is is obviously extremely, extremely tough. Um, but I would just say that motorsport is, is just slightly more tough. And that's, that's primarily because they say on average, you know, a family needs around seven to 10 million pounds to support their child through that dream, because it's incredibly expensive. And the second that you start doing go-karting, um, you know, when you start competing and stuff and you start getting into the, extremely competitive leagues it's it starts at like 100 grand and then very quickly on um you know once you make it into single seaters it's you know it, it sort of starts getting into the six seven figures so you know it's 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 unattainable for most people in the world to 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 do that um and then of course you know we are here today 2021 we don't have a female formula one driver on the grid um so you know it's it's it was obvious that 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 just wasn't going to happen and then i also got my learning difficulty diagnosed which meant that there definitely wasn't a chance to compete but i also knew that what, whatever it had given me, um, you know, uh, you know, even though I had this difficulty, which is all about motor coordination. Um, I I believed that, you know, I still, I was getting podiums, you know, and so I did have um, some innate or natural ability to, to overcome that. And um, what I found more, let's say empowering and r- really interesting about it all was about the peak performance side of the sport and how, the sport in itself is about communication it's about teamwork um it's about totally breaking your limits and and be, being on the edge the whole time to find that limit um and you know and taking those risks and i absolutely love those things and um and now you know i create these sort of experiences for companies and for for communities to really go out of their You know their comfort zone, and and that's where I feel you know my passion lies within that industry, and also um, to innovate in that industry because there's so much room for innovation. Um, I mean, it's all about innovation, motorsport, Um, and uh, the experience is 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 quite an interesting sort of playground to explore when it comes to the senses and you know that type of thing. So you know, in a nutshell, that's that's been the journey and yeah you know dj music producer today and you know had a very you know very nice career and um and quite grateful for it and stuff and um obviously right now what's happening with the pandemic is quite tough but i'm sure it will it will bounce back and and i think personally i see it as the music industry is quite um is quite a um let's say you know the business model is not fair to artists at the end of the day so perhaps this is the time for reset for for that industry as well
1: Wow, there's so much in here, and uh, we're going to have a really interesting conversation. There, <laughs> uh, there's a lot to cover over the next uh, the next sort of half an hour, forty minutes that we've got together. So let's talk a little bit about the um, your earlier life, if you like, with the the dyspraxia which you were uh, diagnosed with, Farah. So mm. a lot of people won't necessarily know what that actually is, or, or how it manifests um, in a child, or, or even in themselves. Maybe they're they're kind of not aware of, of what they may be going through so can you just talk us through sort of how that how how you were diagnosed what it how it played out for you on a daily basis you mentioned about the bullying at school um and sort of in your early career but I think it's going to be helpful for people listening or watching you know to learn a bit more about that because I think about five percent of the population um, suffer with it don't they so it's not an insignificant number but it's mm. not necessarily commonly known either so could you just share with us um, a bit more about that
0: and then we'll see how that's actually driven you forward from there really yeah definitely so dyspraxia is essentially a, a delay between the your brain and sending the motor coordination signals to the rest of your body so that affects things like balance it affects things like um speech sometimes it affects things like sequencing um you know so subjects like maths uh, science particularly as well uh, are quite tough and you know sometimes you just think oh well i'm just it's just not my subject you know i'm not good at maths and i'll just accept that but actually you know there could be something you know underlying and that that could be this um this learning difficulty and um so and sometimes when you have dyspraxia you know you could have other learning difficulties as well like dyslexia um you know the the other ones as well um so there is an overlap but but essentially it manifests itself you know from a very young age because um, you know, when a child starts to learn to learn how to walk and sort of starts, you know, sort of going into their like, I don't know, two, three years, four years old. Um, you know, they start doing certain activities. So, you know, of course, things like walking, um, you know, sort of cutting cutting things with a scissor and and, and you start noticing perhaps that, that child might appear to be clumsy or they're not able to use the scissor properly. They might say, um, the word yellow, for example, they might say lello because there's that speech formation difficulty. Um and and that's really because that signal is just is just severely like delayed between um the brain and the body um and so it you know and this is for me you know yeah I went to this you know this great school and I, I felt extremely disappointed because it wasn't detected and it my parents um my family are in the education sector we run uh, Montessori schools here in London and I see the work that they do with those children and and how very very quickly on you know, they can detect those things because it's um, the beauty of Montessori is literally about observation and observing a child and, 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 and that kind of thing. So, um, you know, through observation, you can really see like what, what the benchmarks are and where the, perhaps the, the disparities lie. Um, so yeah, so, but I got diagnosed, you know, 15 and, and really what it was, was like you know i'm in this school like obviously i got in on merit and what they couldn't understand you know for in this school like getting a b is like is really quite bad um but getting a c or a d is <laughs> we're not, we just cannot go there right and and then that was happening in my sort of maths and science sort of stuff and so they they thought i was just basically just being um doing it on purpose because they couldn't understand like if you're you know you're capable you're able to do really well in expressive subjects but you're not able to do that in maths and physics and stuff so we, we don't they didn't really think that that there was a block they just thought i was just doing it on purpose to being like you know teenager or whatever um and that wasn't obviously i didn't know but that wasn't you know the case that like um that, that i was i wasn't doing that on purpose and essentially um age 15 you know about to start your GCSEs and all that and they were like oh well we think you know you could benefit from some extra time and um why don't you see like an educational psychologist and, and see if you might be able to get some extra time. And it wasn't based on a premise of we think you might have something wrong or like anything. It was just more like not pity, but just sort of like almost kind of, you know. Um, and then, yeah, I went to this educational psychologist. It was an extremely um, short process in the sense that it was just one day of examinations. Just things like even drawing in a straight line, um, you know, dyspraxic children because that their, their grip and their pencil movements are not um, solid and stable enough. So you know, writing becomes illegible after a certain amount of minutes. Um, And so, yeah, things like this particular test they did. And then, you know, she told me, well, you've got this thing. And and that's it. And she said, you know, that time that um, in order to stay up with this um, extremely um, uh, highly pressurized academic environment, I'd basically been rewiring my brain to like, to to keep up and to stay in that system because for me, failure was not an option, you know, um being chopped, dropped out of school or whatever, just like that would not be something my family would be happy about. um So, at all costs, I had to find a way to be in that classroom environment and, um you know, how does it affect me today? I think I've worked extremely hard to go out of my comfort zone to do things like music and motorsport, which is so coordinated that, should, that you need a lot of coordination. Like you can tell when a DJ is not on a beat in a split second um and so by actually just going totally like you know into a field which is so heavily reliant on that you can only get better i I really believe that um and so you know i think that's how i've really started to to overcome that quite a lot and then all the you know the usual things that i think people anyway regardless of difficulties or not should be doing like meditation yoga taking care of your body your mind like so important um because it, it can get obviously quite overwhelming and particularly when you're your adolescence, you know, everything is going on, you know, you're a teenager, you're going through, you know, puberty, like everything, right. So it's, 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 and you're in this box, you know, you don't, you're not allowed to like leave school. Like you're in this, in, you're the same people day in and day out and, um, and emotions are there. And, and, and so, you know, and then if something's going on, you know, you need, you need to find a way to, to let your body like get regulated really. Um so I hope that's uh, answered the question.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, because it is, it's it's quite a complex area. And as you say, you know, if you're not diagnosed until, you know, you're 15, that's quite late to be diagnosed in terms of your academic, you know, kind of um, cycles. So, and, and I guess when you, when
0: you were diagnosed, what was the feeling? How did you feel? Mm, um, mm, I, I, I felt, I did feel at that moment a bit despaired because I felt like, well, something's wrong with me. You know, um, like then it, you know, and I knew I basically stood at the base of a very st- sort of tall mountain because I knew there was going to have to be a lot of work moving forward, you know, to go, to go going on. And, um, but I think for more than anything to me, I think it, it really like, it broke my heart cause I, th- I thought, well, I definitely can't, you know, be a racing driver in formula one. Like that's, mm. that's what I can't do. Like that's just not going to happen, Ir- you know, irrespective of money, everything else, like just that that pure, you know, things, but you know, that, that, that's what I thought. And, but I wasn't ready to let go of that dream. So I, I kind of just <laughs> fought to be on the track, but yeah, I think, yeah, it did. It did feel, you know, quite, quite sad at the time, but then I just sort of moved forward. And, um, actually once I got out of that school environment, cause I left that school after GCSEs, uh, then it was, then, you know, I was surrounded by the right people and, and that made the biggest difference at the end of the day.
1: Mm. Yeah, I know. It's interesting, isn't it? Because like you say, massively disappointing in one sense to get a diagnosis like that. But then in the other sense, I guess, you know, it's sort of, I suppose, explained quite a lot of things that maybe Mm. hadn't you know you kind of wonder what's happening maybe i don't understand why i can't do these certain Mm. things or you know i'm not the same as the other kids and so i you know i I guess there's a clarity that that possibly came over time once you'd managed to get over the you know the initial shock of it if you Mm. like Mm. um but but now then i mean you, you you talked about you know having this dream of f1 and obviously that that then became um clear that that wasn't going to play out in the way that you would have liked. But since then, it, you know, you've done phenomenal things. You've really channeled your energy into two key areas that you absolutely love. Well, it's actually more than two, to be fair, isn't it? Because you've got the journalism, you've got the music producing, the DJing, you've got the podcasting, you know, you've got your public speaking that you do as well. So, actually, it's more than two areas. Um, but with the, with the music... Um, and with the, the DJ and, and the music producing side of things, how hmm. have you found that far as a, as a, as a woman in that world, you know, have you found it very open and welcoming? Is it allowed you to really be yourself, you know, in that world or how, how has that played out from a, I guess, a diversity and inclusion point of view really?
0: Yeah, hundred percent. I think we were talking about this on, on my pod that like only 2% of, um, music producers are female. So that's, you know, shocking statistic. Um, and in no way reflects capability of women, you know, at the end of the day, I think it reflects more um, perhaps the fact that, you know, those doors haven't been opened or encouraged either society, like as a society um, or or through the industry in itself. Um, and, and hopefully, you know, a lot more is being done to change that, to change that thing. I mean, personally, yes, you know, I think I've definitely had to, you know, prove that I'm here because I, I'm, I, I, this means the world to me. Like I I believe I have a talent and I, and I believe that, you know, if you have music in you, in your veins, you know, it's, 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 a, to me, it's a spiritual thing and it's a message that's being transmitted from, I don't know where, but it's, it's a message that's being, it's being channeled through me and, um and not everybody in the world has that ability or that gift to be able to read a room and take them on a journey that where they don't need to know the name of the song or anything. They just have that implicit trust in the musician and, and it, and it provides so much joy and healing and, and, and just, you know, all those, you know, really positive things. Um And so I have had to like, definitely, you know, like you know let's say like be very like serious about it like you know make sure people know that it's not just a, you know side hobby or anything like that mm-hmm. i've definitely had statements you know people that i've i've known you know DJs, you know in, in Mykonos, for example, who who said like, oh, but you know women can't DJ. It's just something they cannot physically do, and it's 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 shocking to hear stuff like that because, you know, you've been in that DJ booth with someone, you've seen, you know, you think you know them, and then suddenly a statement like that comes out, and you're like, what? Where did that come from? Like that mm-hmm. doesn't make any sense. You respect me because of my musical taste, and this time I wasn't a DJ at that point, but you're now telling, you're saying that you know we'll actually know, and it's just nonsense. And I think the true skill of a DJ, sixty percent is taste It's, you know, 40% is the technique, but you could mix two really boring tracks together in the most, you know, perfect way, but if they're boring, they're boring and and nothing changes that. Right. <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> taste is something you can't teach someone. That's just what it is. Right. Um, so I dunno, I think, I think now, and diversity is a huge, huge problem in the music industry for sure. And particularly in my sector, which is electronic music um yeah you don't see many um diverse um gender um sorry diverse um, back- backgrounds coming through and that's a, a real shame and um and something you said earlier which which really resonated with me was like you know help those people you know b- below you above you whatever but make sure that you're you're opening that door and helping someone through that door um because they they, they definitely you know value and, and need it um so i think there's a lot of work to be done about this this thing and i think i think that that the onus is also on 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 sort of labels and music producers as well to invest in that talent because you can't again you know investing in talent is again with music is like you there is no predictability you can't there isn't a formula like that's you can't copy paste that it's it's so much about the stars aligning and but also the right team the right people and you need to invest in having that infrastructure around you to be able to succeed in this industry so
1: yeah yeah brilliant there's so much in here and um you, what you were saying uh, farah was almost you know those limited those limiting beliefs either that other people put on you or that sometimes we put on ourselves don't we and Mm. you know when you when you got into the DJ inside of it knowing that the environment was as it was and and you know maybe having also having the challenges that you've had to overcome you know with the dyspraxia as well how Mm. how have you managed to you know lift yourself out of that you Mm. know get clear on what you wanted to achieve and and also really work on that belief that despite all of that you can Can be successful in this world and you will be successful in this world and you are successful in this world. What Mm. sort of things have you have you had to put into place in your in your own mindset or, you know, more from a practical point of view to help you get there?
0: Yeah, actually, just just to quickly go back to what what we were talking about, I think one other thing I just forgot to sort of mention is also you actually see females who kind of mess it up for others as well because they set a precedence. You know, you'll see that person who's DJing with almost nothing on, and it's 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 it's, it's just sad because it doesn't need to be that way. And then and but then it feeds the ecosystem because then the promoter doesn't care about the music. It's like oh, I just want a good-looking girl to DJ, and you know, and that's really sad. Um, and I think I'm I'm quite um you know somebody who's who's quite guided by morals and values and and perhaps that's also comes down to my parenting and my Indian sort of heritage but like and spirituality within that as well but seeing some of that go wrong and I just you know that also pushes me to like to to lead the change or like to at least um you know to 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 counterbalance that counter set that um and to prove that you you know it's at end of the day it's about talent and I think for me i just think um to go, to answer your current question I think I think it's belief, you know, if you know within you that it's, it's, it's what you're passionate about. And no matter what it's become, so obviously it starts as a passion. It may have, you know, now manifested itself. Like end of the day, if you believe in it, then you know you, life is too short to live with that regret of like, oh well, I walked away, you know. And I'll always then you'll feel resentment, and then you know, then you'll feel bitter, and then you and then that that has a knock on effect to other people, how you treat someone, how you treat people within your circle or outside your circle, you know. And and, and yeah, I, I just I just feel that. There's there's too much within me to to walk away from it and say you know it just means I have to accept I have to work a bit harder and I'm 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 a very like you know my work ethic is is round the clock like I uh, I will I will just not stop until the job or the task is done and I'll I'll put every single ounce of energy into it you know I mean like even last night I was in the music studio till three in the morning you know and started my day at nine today. Because also this energy when you're young is is also there. It's 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 it's. I, I feel, I'm in my thirties now and I feel the energy I had in my twenties was like probably fifty percent more. Like you know, and you you can feel you know that happening as well. And you you right now when it is you know that that energy is still there. Like you, it's too. You just don't want to like let it go. When your health touch wood is good, you know, like all these things that we you know we need to value every single day um, and just seize that day. And yeah, so I think that's been the driving force for me to say. You know, um, I I guess the belief came from before I didn't know anything was wrong. Um, I was just that person who had the helmet on driving around a racetrack, really enjoying it and doing well. So therefore, all the other stuff is, is is just something I have to kind of work through, but it doesn't determine whether I do or I don't at the end of the day.
1: Yeah, well you are massively inspirational because you, you you know, it just shows there are there are limits, but there are no limits as well, because yep. you know, we can when we get a knockback in life, um, you know, as as you know, you've had some knockbacks there, but it's how you deal with that, it's how you bounce back from that, it's how you find your new your new focus and new reason why. And and you've done exceptionally well at that and leading leading the way really for other women in, you know, that want to also be fellow DJs and, and record producers, et cetera, so music producers. So no, I think it's fantastic. You 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 made a point then actually, which is just something that struck me when you talked about driving around the race racetrack with your helmet on, and you know, and and I'm just linking back to I suppose some of the earlier more traumatic experiences for you when you were younger, when you were saying you were bullied at school. Mm-hmm. And do you think there was an element of getting into the racing um, game was around putting your helmet on and almost like escaping? You know, you like you said, you could be anyone under that helmet. You know, you, obviously you're you but it almost becomes a bit of a leveler and it's sort of almost putting on a different persona in that world with the helmet on where you're just sort of absorbed in... The car in the track in in what you're doing was there an element of that? Do you think sort of escaping from some of those more
0: painful situations as well? Yeah, hundred percent. I think you know that that also sometimes plays into my alias Ninja. It's like I don't, you don't need to know who I am. Just listen to what I do and don't worry about what I look like or this and that. You know, just 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 hear about the product itself and the music and that's it. Um, and then the rest is you know is great if you discover that and whatever else. But the core is is is. The, is the message, end of the day. So yeah, I think, you know, putting the helmet on and also being in an environment of people who also enjoy the same thing as well as like, you know, obviously quite nice, but just kind of like, yes, I, you know, just, just sort of, you know, having a detachment and just, it not being about anything else in that environment apart from just the engine and that track and your results within that and and racing is in extremely although it is extremely you know physical people sometimes surprised like they don't realise how physical of a sport it is but actually it's also extremely um psychological. Because um, it is all about outmaneuvering your competition, but also having to kind of—I mean—you're risking everything to do that because you could spin off, you could have an accident, etc. Your life could be on the line. So, like, it is about the psychology and, like, even you see—you know—drivers who are, you know, severely disabled. Like, there, there's a guy racing without legs or an arm, um, and you realize, well, then it's about your mind, you know. Then, then it really is about that. Um, so I, I think it was a form of, you know, as, as I mentioned earlier, both things were initially a form of escapism, but then it really became actually about a calling more than anything. It was like these two things to me, they feel like they're my calling in life um, and there's and there's too much within that that I couldn't walk away from, um, you know, because there's so much to explore within there that that gives me so much um, happiness that, you know, I, I want to explore
1: yeah, what well, gives yourself happiness, but also those around you, because you say when you, when you're, you know, you're playing music for people, it's, it's a real, it's a real connection is it? it's an emotional connection that you're making with, you know, with the audience. And, um, mm. and just in terms of, um, you were talking about um, the performance of, of F1 Um, yeah, you're getting into a car and you're driving at those speeds. How do you overcome the fear? How do you manage that?
0: I think that, you can't have fear because the minute that that's in your head it will stop you from taking the risk so if you have that fear on the track then that may not be the place you want to be at at the same time obviously you know it's a normal human emotion or, or you know, so it's like, we all, you know, like as I've gotten older, you know, I take a few less risks as I used to because it's not worth it. You know, like I've I've been through a few injuries and this and that. So I, I kind of like, you know, for example, just give an example, like skiing, I used to be extremely into extreme skiing. And now if I'm skiing, I'm like, Oh, I definitely can't afford to like lose my arms or my anything, you know? So like, I'm not going to go for that crazy, black thing, you know, um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm just gonna do the chilled more blues and reds, you know, um, but I think, I think, you know, also overcoming that fear is also about knowing what what's the consequence, right? So if you don't, if you don't flirt on the edge, and like racing is about also like failure so like you you have to push the limit to know where the car is and what is the limit of the car and like the also the weather that you know those are the forces that change everything with that Mm. Um, because the second it starts to rain or or even snow i mean you know but rain like the car is just so hypersensitive and the slightest you know aggressive move um or, or you know it has to be very gentle the way that you you feed the the power and i think I think, yeah, you just, you have to, but it's experience, like you have to keep doing it and doing it and doing it. And then you don't feel scared. It's just more about uh, the the performance side and extracting the performance through it. And also now also the trust that like, yes, the technology is, you know, it's completely different to what it used to be like. We've seen those accidents, you know, Romain Grosjean walking out of that car last year. Um, you know, it's astounding. Lewis Hamilton recently, like having that, the you know, Max's um, car almost running over his head and that, um, the, uh, the halo protecting him from that so you, you there is also trust in the in the in the manufacturers and the actual machinery as well um but you can't you can't you can't you can't I think be guided by fear because then you're not present in the moment of taking the course of action because it's such a reactive sport as well so you you you, you need to be very clear in your head if you feel scared like I would advise that you don't go out on track that day.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah very good <laughs> advice. Very good advice. But actually there's a lot here that uh, translates across to business and life, I think mm-hmm. as well, that, you know, if you, so many people, I think, you know, let the fear stop them from starting or, you know, maybe start something and then, and then the fear kicks in and it, and it almost, you know, prevents them from moving forward and they, they, they go backwards, you know, and I think that's mm-hmm. a great analogy for, for business, for life, you know, for career. And, and change is the one constant, you know, and yeah. uh, I think actually having that mindset around, no, I'm just going to, I'm just going to move forward and, and be in the here and now and, and not worry about what could happen because the chances are it probably won't happen anyway. Um, or the, you know, so you've got to just focus on why you're there and what you're doing and, and not let the fear kind of stop you really. And I think that's, yeah. that's true in so many things. Um, mm. actually, can you, um, Faria? you must've had some amazing ex, experiences with you know with your DJing and you mentioned Mykonos earlier what are some of the proudest moments that you've had in that DJing world that that you're Mm. in
0: yeah yeah definitely um so I'd say the first one definitely was the chance to do the TED TED talk around um well just being you know invited to do the TED talk but then because it was in the Philharmonic Hall in Luxembourg um obviously I was like um I need to do a performance alongside this I I, you know I don't want to just do the talk Um, and also TED talks are really interesting when they have some sort of um, you know uh, that fun, fun side of things. So to be there and and play that and and talk about this whole my talk was about rewiring your brain um, through 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 sports and music basically, um, and and so talking about this difficulty and then actually explaining it through the music was you know and there was a thousand five hundred people in the room I think sold out audience and then the talk's been viewed more than like one hundred and thirty thousand times or something crazy so um, that was an extremely proud moment. Um, uh, secondly, I would say, um, oh uh, yeah, of course the holy grail for any, um, well, any electronic DJ or music producers is definitely a Ibiza. So, um, I've been lucky enough to train as a music journalist there, um, which was a phenomenal training ground. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, then through, through many years, um, got, got invited to DJ at like Pasha Destino, which is, is definitely, a, you know, one of those, those sort of top Top clubs in the world to to to, to sort of do, um, and to play there is is definitely a, a different type of energy as well. So that's really nice. And and I think thirdly, just um, you know having the chance to obviously like I I've, I've had the immense privilege to DJ in, in the most you know places you wouldn't expect, um, like in in East Africa for example, Uganda and Kenya, and you know sort of visiting these 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 places and actually pockets of electronic music exist everywhere. Um, and it's just finding that the place where it exists and then basically just getting there and investing that time to go because I I, I didn't even have an agent until basically about a year ago. I, I made it all happen for myself. Um, and I really invested the time to go to a particular place, build up relationships um, and and then essentially get booked through that, you know. Um, so, yeah, I think those would be some of my proudest um, achievements or moments in in music.
1: Oh, amazing! And and like you say, it's allowed you to to reach a wider audience, you know, by being in all of those parts of the world, which you know are probably the less obvious areas to go. But mm-hmm. it must be incredibly fulfilling to to have an audience there and listening to your stuff and really kind of connecting with you in an mm-hmm. emotional way. It must be super inspiring for you as yeah. well, you know.
0: Absolutely.
1: Yeah. Have you had any bad gigs where it's not been such a pleasurable experience or maybe earlier in your in your career where, you know, there was a bit of a tumbleweed or have you always had sell out amazing kind of gigs that you've done?
0: No, no, no. It's not all, you know, glamorous in that sense where it's all just rock up and just, you know, kill the room and, then you know, <laughs> come back. It's it's definitely not like that. Um, you have to, you know, there's been a lot of hard graft, um, you know, many, many times, uh, particularly in the earlier days where you're just, you know, DJing to no one. I'm just employed as a resident DJ in a bar or something. And it's just... Not many people coming through and you're there for like four to seven hours and you're just like, you know, you know, this is but that's really important because that again, you know, you develop you to learn you you always come out that learning something and just even the stamina to DJ for seven hours or something is, you know, quite tough as well. Um, There's definitely I'll say there's one one gig, I think, which was definitely probably just not, 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 not um wasn't worth it. um, But yeah, it was. It was in croatia and i was bu- and uh, i was booked to play i mean they they sold it as this amazing sort of thing you know basically they were like are you gonna dj on this yacht for like two weeks no uh, yeah about a week um and you know they they said they wanted that kind of music that i play but it turned out once i got there that the entire thing was like a scam <laughs> um and i was stuck on this boat for seven days um with yeah with this with this just basically just not a cool vibe and You know, after some time, you know, there's only so much you can sort of sit on a boat and look at the sea and, and just not really be with anyone that really like is, is just on your frequency and just like, you know, people didn't really actually like that music. So it was just, it was just not that good. And yeah, I I guess like I, that was definitely a a bad one and I was quite glad to get home.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, but it's such an important point you make because I think very often, you know, people will look at you, they'll look at your, you know, career and the successes that you've had and they just see that and they judge that and think, oh, it's how amazing, you know, how great for you. But the reality is that in every success story, there are lots of failings along the way and learnings that come Mm -hmm. from that, you know, and it isn't always is easy. And in the same way, actually, you know, if maybe a business fails or someone isn't successful in something, mm. very often people don't see all the wins that you did have along the way. It might not mm. have ended up where you wanted, but, you know, and I think it's a really important lesson for all of us to not judge and mm. think that, you know, a person because just by what is outwardly demonstrated, you know, behind that, there will be months and years of hard graft of knockbacks of emotions to get to that point that people don't see and they don't know. Um, And I think it's something that's really important for us all, actually, to, to pay attention to sometimes, you know.
0: Definitely. And just to add to that, you know, on the flip side also, because we live in this world, which is like so easy now today to like, you know, make something look professional and not employ a graphic designer or anything, you know, um, also has to be very, very, you know, um, uh, you know, pay attention to that. And that's what that gig taught me was because the way that that in, um, invite landed on my desk, like this guy basically bought this domain. Like I don't know if you know this, like Loris, um, the p- p- Patron, um, it's like this charity for like really top end global sports ambassadors. And he essentially bought like a, a fake domain for that, wow. you know, and he pretended that he was from that charity and it all just seemed so legit on paper. And then, you know, and then you actually get, then you realize it's not. And, and that's where I think sometimes we do have to be so careful, like who, you know, what appears so great on paper, like you, you need to dig behind the scenes. and You need to make sure that it's legit and it's authentic um, before you get trapped into something in business, particularly as well.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, really, really valid point. And and I guess sort of leading on from that as well, Farah, is um, social media, the role of social media, because how how important is social media for you with your business and and kind of your career in in the music world? How how important is social media?
0: Yeah, I think it's important. At the end of the day, you know, fans want to know who the person is. They want to buy into that. They want to see the life, the day in life. So it is important for sure. Um, I personally... It's like, I, I, it just feels like it's not a chore, but it's just sort of like, I really have to like, make an effort to schedule all of this stuff and do it, but it's important, you know, it builds these communities and these audiences, but I personally, I'm the type of person, that I like to build those, you know, maybe that's why it also took me longer to get to where I am, is I really like to build the communities around me, I like to vest my time in knowing who's in my audience, I like to speak with them, I like to know who they are. Um, rather than it just be a, a random fan from social media, you know, um, I want to know who's who that person is. What does this mean to them? You know, um, mm. and because I, I also, you know, it's it is the dance floor or you know any environment is about the energy and what that energy brings into the room. And of course, the music industry and, and particularly this kind of music is a lot about hedonism and all of that stuff. And like, you know, um, you know, I just I think I, I like to design a space where people are on the same sort of vibe rather than it all just being about you know extreme hedonism it's more about um yeah like the personalities and 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 and, you, and the fact that you don't need excessive things to enjoy this music you know this should be again about i do believe that you you can enjoy this music completely so and you should be able to because good music should be good music and you shouldn't need anything to 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 get out of that into an altered state of mind so i am quite um passionate about that as well
1: Yeah. And in a world where where people, you know, on social media in particular, you know, can portray this sort of image of being perfect or fitting into a certain genre or or box that, you know, society wants to put you into. um, Have you had any bad experiences on social media with sort of trolls, haters, Mm. people that kind of, you know, don't maybe buy into you and can be quite, quite vocal on social media? Or have
0: you not had that as a problem? I think sometimes you know i think sometimes it became a limiting belief like i i definitely was a bit scared of it because you see the how bad it has been for other people mm-hmm. and sometimes it did make me like a bit like held me back from like truly sharing a lot because I, I i was just afraid that like people could tear you down um then i overcame that it took me a long time to overcome that because then but then i just did and then i think the only real thing i've seen to be honest is just sometimes you get those You know, sort of like, um, I don't know, young boys on YouTube who, who, who cannot deal with the fact that a girl can race a car. And therefore, need to comment about it and make some sort of nonsensical comment. But it's been far and few in between, and you know, you know it's going to happen. And it's just like whatever. Don't even read into it because they don't really know like the truth. They don't know who you are. They just seen like a, a one minute clip. They have no idea what the story is. You know, they're just they're just jealous that they're not able to drive something like that at the end of the day. And it's so easy to be mean behind a computer screen. But I, and I think there there's so much that these tech platforms need to do to protect. Um, human beings, because it can have such a knock on effect for someone's mental health, you know. Mm,
1: yeah, definitely. Definitely. And, and it can be, like you say, it can really, um you know, hold you back in terms of putting yourself out there to the world. But the reality is, if you don't put yourself out there to the world, then you, you're just the best kept secret. Yeah. So it's this, it's this constant tension, I think. And I mean, one of the things that I think has helped me over the years, and it partly comes with a bit of experience as well. And, you know, and you're, like you said, you're in your early thirties, so you've got some years under your belt as well in terms of experience. But I think when you realize that people are going to judge you anyway, you yeah. may, as well be judged for being you and what you stand for and what's important to you as opposed to trying to please everyone else by putting across an image that actually you know they're probably not going to like anyway so you may Mm. as well be you and and what you stand for and you're going to get a proportion of people where you're not their bag and that's okay actually Mm. that is okay but like you say I'm just really glad you've not had too much of that nonsense because um it's very difficult for people isn't it as well yeah yeah me too (laughs) yeah Yeah, absolutely. And just coming back to the to the driving. So on the F one side, um, Farah, do you are you still driving now? How how do you sort of engage in the world of motorsport
0: on a sort of you know day to day regular basis now? For sure. Yeah. So I have, um I have two companies in motorsport. One is called Regents Racing. Um, and that was what I started. I went to um, a business school in London and I was extremely lucky to start this uh, movement there. Um And, uh, and it, because I was studying business and global business and most of our students were international. It, it, I saw the link quite quickly between business and, and motorsport. So um yeah, we basically do events for the, the basically people who went to that university alumni and friends of, us, like that community Um, and we'll do like seven or eight events a year and they can be like a lot of sort of transferable lessons from the sport. Um, So we could do events like blind driving with Land Rover, for example. Um, We could go to Formula One factory and get a tour, but also hear from like their sort of peak performance coach. Um, You know, we could have like a screening of, for example, we did a a Monaco F1 sort of um, 12 hour sort of party um, in Regents Park where the university is. Um, And so, yeah, that's that's my sort of, you know, my day to day touch point with it. But obviously the pandemic did affect that business um, because it's not an experience you can replicate on Zoom. Mm. Um, And so we've just about starting to bring back life into that now. Um, And then secondly, an adventure I'm working on um, called The Formula Mind, which also I was working on just before the pandemic, but then obviously couldn't launch during but hopefully i'm going to launch it next year is taking that same message um but actually translating it for the for corporate teams um and so it's like a pop-up corporate retreat um in near silverstone um and you basically t- you know get your get a team and they kind of go away for like three days I mean, it depends on obviously how long they want um but they get to you know essentially you know sort of take their team to the next level and and sort of you know outperform competitors and, and essentially learn from you know this extremely complex and innovative sport and 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 see how it can affect them because there's so many links from technology to managing risk sustainability even the gender and inclusion topic I mean there's so many so we've got a lot of different workshops um, with people who've been at the helms of Formula One um, and basically lead these workshops for, for these teams. So I'm hoping to launch that next year, Uh, fingers crossed. We'll see, you know, if, if all goes well, but yeah. And then also the podcast I have, I'm, I'm, I'm always interviewing people in the, in the motorsports world as well
1: fantastic well i love it i love the fact that you've taken your passion and merged it with your profession um to create these two worlds that collide in the most beautiful way um and i think on your uh, on your bio uh, you say that music is your yin and racing is your yang and i love that i think that's Thank a really you. cool cool way of encapsulating these two very different worlds with you in the middle as the personality and the energy to them both so i think it's truly wonderful what you're doing it's uh, it's amazing Fantastic. So far, I just I've got a few final questions, if I may. Mm -hmm. Um, Can you think of the best piece of advice that you've ever been given?
0: Yes, my mum. She said to me, um, if you don't um, if you don't succeed, just try, try, try again. There's a million ways to do something. You just have to find the one that works for you.
1: (laughs) Brilliant. Yeah. Very, very um, sound advice from your lovely mum there. And that's obviously (laughs) stayed with you, hasn't it, all these years with everything you've done. Fantastic. And can you think of any advice um, that maybe you took that didn't work out so well that you wish you hadn't taken or that you ignored because it was so bad and you decided you're actually
0: glad you didn't you didn't pursue uh, that advice? I think, you know, the advice, I think that I've, you know, perhaps has come up a few times is just, you know, you you can't do both things. Um, And I think that no point in being a jack of all trades, that's absolutely true. But I think what you do need to do is focus on one first build it up, build it up. And then you can breathe, let it breathe a bit. You set the like place, the things to be in place for them to move a little bit. But at the earliest stages of my career, particularly when I graduated from uni, um, because I was doing both already in uni, I did, I wasn't sure. And, and people kept telling me you can, you can't do both. You just, it just, you have to pick one and you have to stick with that one. And I, and I just, and I did in the beginning and then I just felt something was missing, you know, in my life. And, um, and I found a way to make it work for both. So yeah. I think, yeah. Just focusing first, but then you, you can, like yourself, you're, you're, you know, you're clearly in different industries and um, and you've built that experience and expertise and, and, and it allows you to kind of take a step back and move on, you know, get to the next thing.
1: Yeah, um, no, that's that's great. And and actually, I, I agree with you, you know, that, yes, you need to focus and, and, and be good, be good and be known for something, but then you can add extra things into the portfolio once you've, you know, you've kind of got your traction, systemized processes, all of that good stuff. So yeah, you're you're a prime example of uh, bringing those two passions together and in, uh, in that perfect yin and yang as we, uh, as we spoke about earlier. So that's brilliant. And just my final question, well, actually last but one question is where can people find you Farrah? Because I'm sure you're going to get inundated with requested connects and what have you. Uh, sure.
0: Um, yeah i know i need i actually do need to build a faranangie.com website or something because i am kind of i have a, obviously a lot of things but yeah essentially um dj ninja.com for you know my music staff and on soundcloud you can also find it on on that um which is where my music sort of lives um and then the motorsport side of things um just at Regents racing on instagram or regent's racing.com as well on online um and then the podcast is mission makers on on all of the places that you listen to your podcast
1: fabulous that's so many incredible brands and ways to find you uh, and mm-hmm. you and you're on LinkedIn as well I know yeah of course yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> excellent so final question then Farah is what does brave Bold brilliant mean to you
0: yeah that's such a, a great question um I think you know it's really at the core it's about owning your own identity and really owning that and not being afraid of what anybody else thinks um, and and once you and and not just owning it but then constantly pushing yourself to to be brave to be bold and and be the best version of of your true self i think i think that's what what that those that that's what it, it would mean to me is is um is doing is doing that and then i think the beauty will manifest and and hopefully it will inspire others along that along that journey because if you're constantly you know being like pushing yourself to be the best like you're always innovating you're always adding something interesting to the table um you're always inspiring other people i think that would be my yeah what it means to me
1: oh perfect well i am absolutely loving all of the things that you've shared today i'm so appreciative of you taking the time and um yeah really loved our conversation so thank you so much yeah
0: absolutely. And if anyone wants to hear Jeanette on my show, definitely check in and uh, and it should be out in sort of October November. Um, so the roles will be reversed. <laughs> but uh, so we're quite appreciative of your time as well and and you know, thank you again so much for having me on the show
1: oh you're welcome it's the perfect harmony see the yin and the yang we've done two podcast <laughs> interviews back to back brave bold brilliant and mission makers so yeah happy days but yeah thank you again Farah. i've really uh, enjoyed our conversations both
0: of them actually yeah me too me too all the best you know
1: take care thank you so much